Hey, Nora. Hey, Sandy. Is that tenor of Hey, Sandy, um, the excitement, the level of excitement? Does it reflect the level of excitement that you have now that the debates have happened and you've been able to, to get the requisite level of excitement that the parties want you to be for this election? What? Sorry, what election are you talking about? <laughs> What election am I talking about? Um, there seems to be like a pretty serious one happening right now at mm-hmm. the federal level. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. No, has not um, has not made me excited. I have to say that I'm more excited about how much laundry I did this past weekend. Oh, must have been a regular amount. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was it was a lot. <laughs> That's a good point. <laughs> no, I I'm not excited. You excited? Okay. I mean, you voted already, so none of this even matters to you. Do you know that I voted already? Well, you announced last week that you got the ballot in the mail. That doesn't mean I voted yet. Don't you have a deadline before like has to get to Canada before like September 20th? I think I have a couple days to to do that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm just assuming over here. You don't know me. <laughs> <laughs> no, I sent it in already. Uh, <laughs> of okay. Of course I did. <laughs> right. Um, no, I'm I'm not fucking excited. What do you mean? It's this is ridiculous. I still I I am I have never been more stunned at our capacity for non-excitement in Canada. <laughs> right. Like, That's a good way to put it. I'm I'm like, wow, we have deep wells of capacity. For the mundane and the unimpressive. (laughs) Yes. Although this past weekend was the anniversary of uh, 9-11, the 20th anniversary of Mm 9-11. And Sandy, I watched Fahrenheit 9-11 to bring me back to what happened. Mm -hmm. How was that? It is such a good documentary, and I completely forgot how close the Bushes are to the Bin Ladens and how mm-hmm. uh, many connections there were and how much money was made off of this war and how much of a piece of shit George W. Bush is, because, of course, he's trying to rehabilitate his image. Yeah. And or I think he's successfully done so, actually, which is yes. outrageous. Yes. And the, the way that Canada retold what happened that day and how Canada looked back, I don't know if you saw anything, but... I mostly saw stuff related to Gander, Newfoundland and not related to the war, the corruption, what it did to the United States. And, oh, the biggest issue, Islamophobia and how Islamophobia and the attack of civil liberties, basically the entire era that we've been living in the last 20 years, were all forged in that event. And there didn't seem to be any introspection among the Canadian media. Um, Certainly politicians weren't talking about it. And not that I was surprised, but like it was really disappointing. That's fascinating. I took, I watched, I did not watch Fahrenheit 9-11, though I should maybe watch it again. But I watched um, pretty much every documentary that (laughs) I could watch this week that was being produced in the U.S. because Mm. I became kind of interested in what kind of propaganda um, would be created in year 20. And so I watched uh, the Netflix ones, there's Hulu ones, there's uh, ABC ones, like I watched them all and (laughs) like to compare them to one another because I just think that it's, you know, uh, normally if I'm in, if I was in Canada, I wouldn't unless I had a VPN, have had access to seeing all of these things as they come out immediately. And I will say that um, the there's a Netflix documentary called The Turning Point, which I assumed was going to be full-on propaganda. It's not. Hmm. Um, it, it starts the story in the 70s with the Soviet Union, and it completes the story with um, and we're still in Afghanistan, essentially. I, I think it's a good watch. I remember the way that I felt after watching Fahrenheit 9-11, and I felt similarly after watching Turning Point. But it is, um, it is I watched another one that I would not recommend because it's propaganda, but it did, it did, it was a PBS one, and it did 
mention or make the proposition, which I found really uh, interesting and what led me down this spiral of uh, uh, comparing them all, that the where we are today in 2021 with respect to conspiracy theories began with September 11th. Mm, yes. And I, th- I think that that is right. Like, I think that that is a very, you know, the, the idea that um, the government will lie to you became so concretized after the weapons of mass destruction were found to be such a lie. It was like said everywhere. It was like the biggest, um, most obvious breach of trust of uh, of a government and still governments all over the world said we're with you America right and uh, you know of course that makes you think well what the fuck is real um and with the you know the original right. internet era conspiracy theory being uh, 9/11 truthers and what it means what how how long or or how deep uh that has impacted the culture up until today, it's. I think it was a really compelling. Wow, statement. It's it, um, while you're talking. I just remembered that I used to regularly get um, mailed to me handwritten letters that were like 50 pages long about how 9/11 was an inside job, and they thought that the random president of the local student union was the person that would want all of this information. <laughs> I totally forgot about those letters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously. Yeah. And, and then the inside jobbers always met at like Futures Cafe in Toronto and they always had like quite a good turnout and they would talk. And if you were lucky, you got to hear their talking about, you know, steel beams and Tower 7. And, and it, it is so interesting when you put it into that perspective. Um, and then thinking further in Canada, like I think the conspiracy connections are very obvious. And of course, there's an entire industry that grew out of promoting these kinds of um, extreme mm-hmm. distrust with of, of power and of, uh, of politicians. Um, but in Canada, like the era of violence against Muslims that started on September 11, 2001. And look at where we are. Like hate crimes are through the roof. Yeah. How many people have died as a right, as a result of far right terror and Islamophobic terror, like more than 22 or something like <laughs> the fact that no one in this country with any media power thought that this was the anniversary to investigate this, to investigate the connection between the family murdered in London, the, the connection to the shooting at the mosque, the, the, the connection to all of these attacks on black uh, Muslim women in Edmonton, like, it's pretty clear that um, our mainstream media doesn't get it. And worse than that, it rehabilitates people like David Frum. And I I, I forget how much I hate David Frum. <laughs> uh, I have to be honest because I just can't hate these people all the time. Mm-hmm. But you watch, like watching Fahrenheit 9-11, it was like, oh, my God, right. Oh, I knew that. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And it's like these pieces of shit that all aided that, that all abetted that, have all rehabilitated their existences. None of them lost any money. None of them lost their heads. And we just exist in this world where it's like like there's no history. There's nothing behind us. And so the only people uh, who go and look for the history who are really, really obsessed with it, well, it's pretty easy to fall down that conspiracy trap because – this, the, the reality of the history is hard to believe. And so then, of course, it's easier to believe what isn't true. Yeah. And I think one of the reasons why I liked Turning Point, the documentary on Netflix, is because the, the hero of the story is positioned as Barbara Lee, the one congresswoman who voted against going to war mm. um, and was like, what you all are bloodlust right now. Like, can you just like think for a moment about what we're actually doing, what you're actually saying, what you're about to do to this country? Um, and, uh, yeah, but as you say, it would have been a really good time for Canada to take a look back. And I was taking a look, a, a closer look at the platforms, uh, last week. And I, um, you know, I was looking at whether or not, uh, these platforms were interested in taking a look at, uh, white supremacy and hatred. And, uh, guess what the plan is from the ruling party, from the incumbents? From the liberals. They're trying to have um, like a, a commission or something. That may be part of it. I can't remember that. But they... I don't know. I just made that up. <laughs> okay. There's a... <laughs> they say that they will release a plan 
by 2022. Right, right. Of course. That's the promise to release a plan by 2022. And it's like, man, you know, what a, what a way to, to be unequivocal about the fact that you don't give a shit. Yeah. Clearly. Like you, you have been to the memorials in Quebec city every year. You have just a few months ago spoken about the family that was murdered in London, Ontario. And all of these incidents in between of hate crimes that you know full well about, uh, both Islamophobic and otherwise, and your promise on this very serious issue. And you're, you're seeing the impacts. You're like getting shit thrown at you from people on the campaign trail who are connected to white supremacist organizing. And your promise is uh, at some point soon, we will make a promise to you. Cool. Sounds like one of those engagements from a guy that's like definitely not going to marry you. Wow. A promise <laughs> ring. <laughs> a promise to give you a promise ring. But you're but a promise ring, but you're not in high school. You're like uh, you've been dating for like 15 years and it's just not going to Yeah. Happen. And you also have the power to raise like 50 billion dollars in a year. I, um, I, I've been watching <laughs> yeah. this past week and the discussion around the, the People's Party of Canada, especially, um, and, and, it, and it's been kind of slowly dawning on me that, that so we've, like, one pollster said that it looks like the gains that the PPC is making, there seems to be a commensurate loss in, in some of the support of the Green Party, which is so fascinating to me because I think, it, you know, we could look at that and say, well, there's, it's probably white supremacists in the Green Party, like, eco-fascists. And I think that that's probably true for some people. But I also think that these are also just anti-establishment sentiments, period. And you can be anti-establishment mm-hmm. from the left and you can be anti-establishment from the right. I just did a, a talk um, with someone who was saying that their family members who are not white, uh, who are not middle class or, or wealthy, are talking about voting for the PPC because it's just an outlet. And wow, I, it's like it is amazing to think about how the mainstream media has has created this crisis in the way that they refuse to allow credible and reasonable left wing discourse past their gates. They have no problem with the right wing discourse, but until like unless it is impossible. It is impossible to give the, the the microphone to someone that can actually explain big pharma and can actually explain the pandemic or can actually explain 9-11 and all of the conspiracies and, and all of glo- like the conspiracy of global finance. <laughs> like no, no fucking way is anyone who's got a coherent explanation for all of that from a left wing perspective getting any significant time within mainstream media. And through years and years and years of compressing those voices out of, of pretty much every Of course, average people, some average people are going to say, well, you know, the liberals are fucking liars. The conservatives are liars. I'm I'm not a left wing person. The NDP is not speaking to me. They're not inspiring me. They're not promising me to change anything significant. Of course, they're going to go towards an anti-establishment sentiment because they don't have anyone that's able to actually explain this in a left wing way. And then when they might understand it, they don't have a left wing option that's of of much, I don't know, use. (laughs) It's, but it's fascinating when you start to think about it that way and how intentional this all is and how intentionally narrowed everything has been towards the center in this country. Absolutely. I fully agree. Um, but you know what's not narrow? This podcast or the people who contribute to it. So why don't we thank them? <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Thank you so much for everybody who's donated for the first time or changed their donation. Um, This week, we have to say special thanks to Aaron, Derek, Michael, LJ, and Chelsea. Thank you so, so much. Thank you all. So we had like a little bit of a discussion before we started and we were like, do we really want to bore our listeners with discussion about the debates? And after, I don't know, about two minutes of discussion, we decided, yes, we do. Um, <laughs> <laughs> except we will never be boring. And so we're going to talk about the debates. The debates. The debates. Okay. I did not watch the mm-hmm. French language debates, so I can't really respond to those. But, Nora, mm-hmm. there were more French language debates than there were English debates. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think let's let's step back. Why are we even mentioning these things? Because they were they were like useless and no one was actually changing their vote based on what was said on the on the stage. I mean, I don't know if that. No, that's definitely true. Um, (laughs) Well, we the thing that we find the most interesting about the debates 
goes to who controls the debates. So who controls the debates? It's something called the Debates Commission, the Leaders' Debates Commission. This is where the official debates of the elections are controlled. I mean, there could be other debates that are organized by, um, you know, media outlets or uh, organizations. But this, these are the debates that are official. And with a snap election like this one, I don't know how many more debates there are actually going to, to, to be. So this becomes more important, these official debates. And, you know, we're, we're taking a look, like, who's, who's running the debates this year, who is on the Debates Commission. And we notice a name, a name that is very familiar to Nora Loretto. <laughs> and I won't make a joke about you being buddies like I did on Twitter. Um, but it's t- very interesting to us that this person is on the board. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's not so much that it's this individual, and we're not going to name him. You can look it up. You'll figure it out pretty quickly who, who, who this person is. But um, the idea that the debates now have to be organized by a federal body that has a, a chair who's, a, who's one of the richest fucking men that's come out of the university sector, Daniel Johnson, who's the former governor general, David, um, and that David, David Johnson. I mean, I don't even respect the guy, so it doesn't fucking matter. <laughs> Um, and, you know, they must have staff, right? So this is a new bureaucratic structure that they've created, and their only job is to, to, to stick handle this debate thing that we have to have. And, and I don't know what was the justification in 2018 for having this, but it has certainly um, tried to take the politics out of the CTV versus Global versus the Toronto Star versus McLean's, trying to always get these different guys in different ways. And I'm um, and, and kind of force broadcasters to work together through a consortium that is managed by this commission. So the commission was in the news last summer. Sandy, I don't know if you remember if it was that why it was in the news, but I want to test you on this because it's pretty funny if you don't or if you do. So the commission made some news, made some headlines last August. Uh, we were not in a federal election. So do you remember why it made headlines? No, I have no, I don't fucking remember. What, what was it? The We Charity scandal was going on, and Craig Kielberger was on the Federal right. Debates Commission. <laughs> That's right. Right. Oh, it's all flooded back. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And so, and so, people at that time, you know, with, without the, the pressure of a debate kind of looming, were saying, like, what, what is the point of this? What do these people actually do, and do we actually need this? So, anyway, fast forward a year, Kielberger's off. He's been replaced with this this person that I know, um, and and so you have an advisory board that's helping the Secretariat of two men two white men it, the, the only the only person connected to media on this is 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 one counselor or one member from aptn who used to be the ceo of aptn then you have a former two former politicians you've got deb gray who was with the reform party and megan leslie who was with the ndp you also of course have uh john manley who represents the national business council so the literal business lobby um is there and then you have this guy that i know um who has absolutely no business at all being there uh, from what i can tell this is an individual who is given a plum bureaucratic position thanks to oh trying to take down the student union which is why i know this individual um, moves into bureaucracy within a university, let's say, and um, has, I, I'm going to guess, a relationship with someone whose job was to come up with all of the appointments across Canada. That individual also worked at the same university and probably made this long list of people that they can flood bo- boards with, with liberal sympathizers. Uh, that person uh, ends up going on to being an MP. And so now she's elected and she's responsible for like small businesses in Canada. <laughs> and then you're left with this secretariat that is running the only English language debate that we have. And there was tons of con- like concerns with everything about this debate. I and mean, that's what we're going to get into and, and what it means for democracy generally. But what I'm most concerned about is like we've outsourced what is actually like the media's job, <laughs> like journalist's job to one corporation in the Angus Reid Institute, because their host, the host of the debate is like the CEO of the Angus Reid Institute. Which, what the, f- sorry, no, <laughs> pause. What the fuck? A pollster was But she was the so good, Sandy. She was so good. Oh she was my so good. God, she was awful. Awful. Absolutely awful. And I just, you know, I I have a lot of critiques about journalists too, don't get me wrong, but you know, at least some of them know how to ask questions. 
and wait for an answer. Oh, my God. That was insufferable. <laughs> That's maybe not Rosie Barton, but you Except know, for her. some of them do. <laughs> Yeah, well, and, and this is the, that was so bizarre. So you have this whole structure. This is the only time that we're going to see all five candidates in the same room speaking to each other in English. We can talk about the French debates in a bit, and it it was it was I mean it was boring. The format didn't work, and then the questions were so I mean there were like factual errors in some of the questions. There was like political errors. There it was questions that were very clear that were like coming from Western Canada and that were obviously going to land very poorly in Quebec. <laughs> and uh, in the end of the day, it's like it, what did it do? It just is more breeds more cynicism because you don't get the answer you're looking for really, and like. Do they even read the platforms before they enter these debates and say, rather than saying, what will you do about housing? Like, you have their platforms. Just fucking talk about what they've promised. Exactly. And ask specific questions, which is what uh, Melissa Rigdon from APTN did. Uh, I thought that, totally. uh, you know, like, please have her do all the debates in future. But, I mean, um, just to put a finer point on it, what does it do? To say that the CEO of Angus Reid is going to be the person presiding over our federal election debates, uh, it gives us a a, a, um, a sense of officialdom to these uh, polls, which many of us, uh, I mean, if you don't know, you should know that uh, polls are mostly bullshit, especially because they don't measure, they don't all measure um, what's real, which is the fact that, you know, we don't, we don't vote for leaders. We don't vote for parties in the same way that, uh, you know, is, uh, that we understand happens in the United States. We vote for representatives in our ridings and the polls miss that. And, um, and I mean, they do polls by, by riding too, for sure. But the majority of the polls that are being, um, presented uh, in Canadian media and discussed are like leaders polls talking about um, like who is the most trustworthy or how many people in Canada support this party versus this party, um, which isn't really telling the whole story or um, much about how our elections work. But those polls do have a significant impact on how people decide to mobilize their vote in a system that is first past the post. And so I, you know, if we recognize that this whole system, the whole way that we do this thing is problematic, which we all should, it's quite obvious, then what the fuck is this person doing here presiding over the debates? <laughs> I just... And shouldn't the fucking, de- the official debate commission know that? <laughs> well, I mean... Or maybe they don't care. Uh... I mean, there is the the CEO of the Business Council of Canada and the former president of the Administrative Tribunal of the OECD. I mean, these are the people who are on the Debates Commission, so maybe it doesn't really matter. <laughs> no. No, and it is it is so funny if you think about it. It's like, okay, so, so, so pollsters, like that's an industry. They make money off of what they're doing. Politicians are chasing the polls, and they're trying to use polls to say, oh, my God, I'm ahead, I'm behind, you should vote strategically, and all this kind of stuff. That tends to benefit the liberals, but the conservatives mobilize as well based on polls. And so there's like there, there there's an interest that is actually not democratic at all between these two groups of people, right? And so to have a pollster in this position was like very very shocking. And what was hilarious to me was how many journalists were completely defending it, being like, "Oh, oh she stared down. Can you can you imagine being in the room with those men and keeping them in line? She stared them down and she kept them on track." And it's like, I'm sorry. You're a fucking journalist and you are like imagining that you're afraid to be in a room telling Aaron O'Toole to fucking answer the question. Like, give me the fucking chance to do that. I would have absolutely no problem to do that. Like, (laughs) there's a lot of people in this country that would not have a problem doing that. And you don't need to go with Shashi Curl to be the fucking pollster in chief. (laughs) I mean, Ipsos and Abacus must have been so pissed to see her fucking moderating this. Yeah, honestly. But enough about her. Enough about I mean, her. That. Her and that whole situation. This is how the debates are controlled. What about the debate itself? I mean, surely that didn't have any impact on the quality of the responses that we heard from the leaders. 
<laughs> there's this ridiculous idea of to bring in journalists, like to add, to ask sections. And then they also had like average Canadians asking questions. They were like just doing too much, right? So that's, it was very hard to kind of keep track of because you like are going to this guy over here and now you're going to this journalist that you might know or that you might not know, but whatever. And then Curl's job was to like, be like, no, you got no time, no time, no time, right? Like as, anyway, whatever. The, the questions were, um, as you expect them to be, very, very um, general or not really biting enough or, like, too biting. So they'd get, like, really in the weeds with some issues. Um, and uh, because, like, it was so disjointed, it's like, and now we're bringing out Evan Solomon. It was like, Evan fucking Solomon? Like, what the fuck? What's this guy been up to the last fucking couple of years he's been dealing art and being on Sirius Satellite Radio? Um, so then you're like, okay, what's Evan's angle? Oh, he's going to talk about fucking the economy. Of course he is, right? Um, but there were there were two questions that, like, really stood out in, in, for me um, that um, I think are worth mentioning. The, the first question has gotten a lot of attention in Quebec which was how Curl asked Blanchette about his party support for two pieces of legislation that both have the notwithstanding clause built into them. So one is a is a language bill that I have to be honest with you, I, I it's not actually that discriminatory. It seems like the biggest group of people that will be fucked by this language bill are francophones that want to go to English colleges, which is kind of like not my problem. <laughs> like, you know, you guys can fight for that, right, if you want it. Um, but the second the second one is, is Bill 21, which is the religious symbols ban. But the way that the question was asked was just like political fucking fairy dust to the to the to the block. And Blanchette was able to make that into such an issue that it has dominated the headlines since that debate. Uh, the premier has weighed in and he's now basically telling everyone in the province to vote for the block. And the biggest winner is Blanchette when I'm not sure if Curl was trying to get a gotcha moment out of it. But she basically said that the Anglo rights bill is racist, which it's not. And it's like, oh, why did you say that? <laughs> oh, I see. I missed the very first five minutes. So uh, I understand that that was the first question because I came in. Yeah. Like what, what kind I of came first in question to, is to that? Blanchette uh, just fi- finishing up a really passionate uh like how dare you sort of situation right um but wow yeah that seems like the wrong way to ask a question (laughs) yeah it was super super loaded and 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 it was just incorrect I mean it's just like if you know what's going on in Quebec politics be like why did you ask that question like that um and a lot of people obviously ask that question like what the fuck the the second question that I thought was just so in in need of of identifying is um Rosie Barton's question which I'm sure you probably also noticed <laughs> yeah i was really excited to see her up on that she that seemed stage. excited to be up on that stage I was like oh yay the, the rosie barton section <laughs> she was like what am i doing here <laughs> i mean she just worked she just so obviously works for the liberal party <laughs> so i just uh, don't even really understand uh like why anybody pretends anything different yeah so she asked this question to jagmeet singh um and, and she asked kind of similar questions to all the leaders and they were all really really bad but the question specifically to singh was was really bad and the premise of the question was so you want to get more people who are young to own houses and you want to cool the housing market how do you justify this to someone whose life savings are wrapped up in their house and that your plan is going to eliminate the equity that they've worked so long and so hard to build into their house and i didn't she set it up as a so which is more important to you yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> young <sorry>. people <laughs> buying a home or or like destroying and destroying all of the equity of of these folks? Or do you care about the older folks to the detriment <laughs> of the young, Mr. Singh? Yeah, that was, it was just, it was marvelous to just be like, are you kidding me? You, did you write that question, Rosie, or did someone else? Because you should probably identify who, because my fucking respect level, I mean, I mean, what am I talking about? Um, so, so of course, Singh's response was not great. He tried to say that we can do both, right? Rather than saying, I'm sorry, is a fucking house a retirement plan? Like, how does somebody access their equity when they're living in that house? Like, are you asking me, do I support reverse mortgages or or any of those kinds of fucking terrible schemes? It's so funny. As I'm talking about this, I can just, I could just feel the conspiracy theories being like, yes, and therefore this is why like right wing conspiracy, right wing conspiracy, right wing conspiracy rather than no, no, no. This is why fucking everything is shit. Actually, (laughs) this is why everything is shit. We're pulling back the curtain to show you why everything is shit. I wish the question was better. I also wish the answer was better. I wish the answer had been something like, well, can we have a discussion? And I mean, you know, it would be great if this was in the platform, too. Can we have a discussion about 
you know, uh, retirement altogether and <laughs> how people shouldn't have to do any sort of scheming yeah. to, to like, uh, have a, um, comfortable retirement and, um, that people who can't do that still have to retire at some point And we need a fucking plan for that. That, um, isn't a dwindling pension system. Um, but one of my favorite questions was about the opioid crisis. And uh, do you remember this question? It was, uh, the opioid crisis is serious, but does the political will exist to deal with it? Oh, yeah. What? Anna, that was Paul? so bizarre. Ms. Paul? Sorry, what <laughs> does the, poli- like that's, as a listener, <laughs> someone who's really trying to figure out how to vote, that's what I want to hear. Parties, do you think the political will exists to deal with the opioid crisis? <laughs> Let me know where you think the country's at. <laughs> I, why would that be a question? Oh, my God. It's outrageous. Like, I just, I had sat, uh, you know, thinking I'll, I'll tweet during this uh, and uh, tweet my thoughts. And I did not think that most of my thoughts were going to be, what the fuck question is this? But that, that was most of my thoughts. <laughs> but for this particular question, I just thought, Wow. How fucking disrespectful, like how to show that you really don't care about a population that is going through uh, some of the most uh, dire public health issues that, you know, we've dealt with in this country uh, is to just skirt over the actual thing that we need to hear about, which is like the plan, what the issue is, how you're going to tackle it, from what place, from what set of principles Uh, from what approach and just say, do you think the political will exists to care about this uh, population over here? Like, fuck you. Yeah. Yeah. And then how, how is uh, Paul supposed to answer that any other way? Cause I think her answer was something like, well, we have the political will, you know, but it's like, sorry, are you asking her to be like, well, I don't think that the conservatives have the political will, or I don't think Canadians are just there yet. Right. Like it's, it's an impossible. That that is actually how then uh, Jagmeet answered the question, right? Like, Enemy says, yeah, we have the political will where we are um, going to do this. And then Jagmeet says, and the liberals have not done a thing. And it's just like, oh, par for the course for this entire debate where all the leaders just attacked uh, Trudeau, except uh, Annemie Paul, who, I mean, she did get a, a dig in her once, but she actually responded with policy mm-hmm. uh, responses. And she was really the only one who did. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to mention uh, two more questions and then let's talk about like what this all means, the, the leaders themselves and the broader picture and why the fuck we're spending so much time talking about something that's completely inconsequential. Well, what did you think about the question on anti-black racism and policing? Oh, um, I'm not even sure I can remember it, to be honest. Yeah, because there was none. <laughs> there was none. Oh, <laughs> okay. There was not a yes, single right. question about policing, not a question about mental health. Uh, not a question about black people in Canada. Uh, those questions did not figure into the debate at all. At the fuck all. Sorry, were there questions about COVID? I think there were questions broadly about economic recovery, but I don't, and and long-term care, in which uh, Justin Trudeau made a fucking joke about not putting his mother into long-term care. Don't worry, I won't be doing that. Oh my God. Like, are you fucking sick? Um yeah, but I don't think there was a direct question about COVID uh, at all. Right. No, I don't remember one. I don't recall one if there was. I don't either. Um, so, so there was also a question, Barton asking Blanchette um, about, like, wh- how do we make it better for people to work until they die? This was one of my highlights of the night where Blanchette was just like, "I'm, are you fucked? <laughs> His response was so good. <laughs> it was like why would that be the premise of what you've asked me? And um, and because the block is so marginal and, and, you know, in the rest of Canada, that's not going to be what people pick up on. But the way it was such a clash of like how things happen in Quebec versus how things happen in English Canada, where Blanchette was like, did you just ask me that question? Like, no, people have the right to retire. Retirement is good. And we're going to give people more money to retire. Like, obviously. So that was great. And then and then the, the the one the one question so there's a whole section on reconciliation, um, which is just also a weird section heading I thought where it's like so you're talking about Crown Indigenous relations you're you're talking to five people that want to be the representative of the Crown and you're talking about Crown Indigenous relations not reconciliation but okay um, I mean that might be part of it but 
the question about the Indian Act was so um, illustrative of how none of the parties have any fucking idea of what's up. I mean, maybe the, actually the liberals I thought was the most honest, where where Trudeau was like very like aggressively like, yes, I want to finish extinction policies that my father brought in. Like, I'm excited to destroy the Indian, Indian Act. And it's like, this is one of those pieces of legislation that is so massive, that has so many implications of how it would be, like, to dismantle it requires incredible care, tons of consultation, tons of of, of thinking about this, that the, the fact that, I mean, I don't think that Singh answered the question. I think he spent whole, his whole response saying, yes, it needs to go away. And then that was it. And then talking about Trudeau, um, the conservatives certainly didn't say very much either. And then the liberals said what, what I just said. And then, of course, the block, the green, whatever. Um, but that was, for me was like the big red flag that, that these parties don't actually have any serious depth in what they're thinking about crown indigenous relations and how that looks post Indian Act. No. Uh, and in fact, you know, I wonder how many of them have read it. <laughs> right. Yeah. And 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 even dedicate resources within the party um, to educate uh, MP hopefuls on it and to come up with good policy that is reviewed year to year on it. I bet that that's not happening. And it should. Uh, it should. Another question uh, that I thought, well, it's, it wasn't a question, but the moment, and I got, I mean, this got picked up, so you've probably heard about it, um, listeners, but the moment of Justin Trudeau saying, we are not fighting Indigenous people in court. That was yeah. so weird. It was like, hmm, has Trudeau not been reading the news? Because <laughs> the rest of the country has. Remember that at the very least, I mean, it disappeared from the headlines too soon, but it was a front page story and it was an international story. The discovery of these graves and the fact that the government was taking survivors to court and had been in court for years with survivors trying to hide um, information from survivors uh, that would help in their claims against the Canadian government. That was international news for not an insignificant period of time. And he responded by saying, this is just not real. I, yeah, like he had nothing and everybody else was like, but it is. <laughs> he was just like, it's not like, what, how did you think this was going to go, sir? You didn't prep that question. Nobody prepped that question in the back. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, I mean, everybody, you know, the, 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 we're a week past this debate. Everybody's already said that it was boring and all this stuff. And, but I, the reason why I think it is really important for us to talk about it tonight still is what does it mean for where we are at politically? Um, as a country, the quality of our, our political discussion and the amount of time that Canadians get to actually hear people speaking in their own words. Um, it was very, very, um, I don't know, like hard to listen to the the like Paul, the the journalist asking a genuine question that was really important and then 60 seconds later just being like ah shut up shut up <laughs> and it was like whoa fuck okay what, uh, where's that coming from um so the whole yeah. format was shit but you know so you mentioned this at the beginning of the show so Quebec had three debates of the leaders because other networks organized them. So there was a debate for Radio Canada, there was a debate for TVA, and then there was the the official commission debate that was held the night before. And it's like, why didn't that happen in English Canada? Like, w what is going on with our media that they're just like, nah, not worth it. We're not even going to try. Like, is there just, I don't know. Like, like, Quebec media is stronger. So, I, I mean, maybe they can fight it out more and maybe they've got more pull on the leaders to say yes. But it just seems so bizarre that that was all we got. And we get this organized by this fucking bullshit, liberal, bureaucratic, bloated piece of shit commission that is obviously not responding to what people need. And then the other question is, what do you even what do you even do when you have five parties that have different levels of of um, depth to what they're promising and that these kinds of events just tend to descend into fucking sniping and annoying kind of situations like that. But recognizing that they are actually really important. And I think that I think Trudeau, like being angry for most of the English debate and finishing the French debate angry because Blanchette accused him of not being a Quebecer, though he didn't really. And Trudeau was like, this is my moment to shine. <laughs> I think that really hurt him 
I think that really hurt him. And I actually think it would be useful to see these people fucking face to face on TV more. Oh, yeah. I, I think it hurt him, too. I I was actually pretty surprised uh, because, you know, hit the moments of his like uh, petulantness And is that a, is that a word? Petulantness? Petulance? It's probably the word. Petulance. I think it's petulance. <laughs> <laughs> the moments of his petulance and anger uh, have uh, come out, um, mostly when he's been confronted uh, with activists over the years of his um, being prime minister. He has scolded um, youth who have confronted him uh, as he's done town halls before. Uh, and lost his temper and made snide remarks uh, uh, to youth and um, been pretty awful generally in his responses. But that hasn't really arisen to like the national stage like it did during the debate. It was like that hidden Trudeau that this this guy who feels like he should have it all. It, I interpret him as someone who believes that he should like have um, the default love of the country at all times. That's how I feel like he approaches uh, issues. Yeah. And um, that's what his personality feels like. Um, and you see it when he, you know, in those moments that those youth had challenged him in the way that he snaps at them. I felt that he was being petulant like the entire time. <laughs> even even this obvious yeah. lie. It was like, no, I didn't. It's like speaking to a mother or something like that, a child who's been caught red-handed and doesn't know what to do and just denies. And... He could have, you know, uh, taken the time to say, yeah, this is this is the record and here here is what we've learned from it and here's what we're going to do better. But he didn't. He just got angry. And if that's the way that he's responding on stage to a debate that he's prepared for, really prepared for, I'm sure. I mean, what does it say about the way that he views the rest of us when we critique generally from the public things that he's done like that petulance isn't just some magical thing that arises just out of a, at, at, at a debate. Um, it's there. He has a sense of uh, superiority and uh, frustration to critique that is leveled at him from wherever. And uh, people should know that. Um, people should also know more than just we're angry at Trudeau from the other parties, which uh, a lot of the debate time was wasted on. People saying, you know, just um, trashing the the liberal record, which they absolutely should do. But we needed more. We needed to hear more about policy. And we really did not do that. Um, The parties, like as someone who, you know, has knows how to do spin, like knows how to evade a question. Like that's all that was happening for most of the night. It was evading questions um, in favor of instead pointing the finger and finger wagging at Trudeau, which, you know, he's already doing poorly in the polls. Give us something to like you for, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Well, also that it's 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 kind of ridiculous, too, considering how implicated all of the parties have been in Trudeau's record. Like the NDP has not broken with the liberals on many fundamental things. On the things that have been the most important during this pandemic, especially, the NDP has been there with them, right? They challenged them on a couple of things. They got CERB increased by um, $100 a week. So they had some victories in challenging them. But they also went along with the wage subsidy, which is just this completely corrupt piece of shit uh, program. Uh, And the conservatives, you know, they're kind of in the same boat. And because they're on an upswing, uh, O'Toole knows that he has to just present himself as this moderate. And, you know, this is where left wing people need to take a major lesson. When the fucking conservatives think that it's time to bring back the red Toryism of the past, like you better believe that it's time for the left to start talking about shit like that's actually radical and that's actually necessary because otherwise you're going to be left in the dust. And that that's where I was so frustrated with the NDP because there was just nothing. Like, I don't expect anything from O'Toole. And, and Trudeau's petulance is what I expect um, because I've seen that from him. I've seen that from him in meetings that I've had with him. And, um, and I think, you know, and, and that also I think is something that the far right sees and all of this like anti-Trudeau stuff because, is because in some senses they see that too. And it's, it's you know, very off-putting. Um, but it's also well hidden, as you said. But... 
you know, giving Canadians the opportunity to hear about these people and, and their ideas without allowing them to just attack Trudeau as an answer is really, really important. And you can organize a debate, you can organize an interview very easily by like not allowing them to refer to a, a, a record on a question that doesn't have to do with the record, right? Actually balancing these questions um, a little bit better and then la- allowing people to fucking talk more, right? That's the, that's the other thing. Allow them to fucking talk. Like, oh my God. Like no, they're not going to fuck up in a 60 second soundbite. They're not even going to fuck up in a three minute soundbite. But like Sandy, how often do you hear politicians have a conversation between one another in this country? Yeah. Yeah, never, never, not even in question period. No, like I want to hear, like, do Aaron O'Toole and 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 Justin Trudeau when they sit down and they have a conversation about, let's say, the fucking monetary policy, do they just descend into screaming at each other? Because I'd like to see that. (laughs) (laughs) I want to see how these two men actually try to have a regular conversation with one another, and we are so far away. This whole thing is smoke and mirrors, and it does start to then get us into conspiracy theory um, territory, where it's like, none of this is real, all of this is fake, all these people are fucking corrupt, and none of it matters. And it's like, there is a direct line between that and people who don't vote, that and people who are attracted to the far right, that and people who... Um, who are just not going to do anything because they just don't know what they can do because everything is so hopeless. And where the fuck is that conversation? Yeah, the place I felt the most, this this sentiment the most was uh, at the point in the debate where they started asking uh, questions related to climate change. It was so... Oh my God, yeah. It was so boxed in. It was like the parameters of the climate change discussion, the questions were so specific it was just like you weren't having a real conversation about what is happening today. We were having a conversation that should have been had in like 2008. It was it was really frustrating to know that the person asking the questions or whoever decided uh, that what questions should be asked, those people, they didn't have the chops to be able to understand what the questions were that the audience needs to hear. Um, needs to hear real answers on. And even if they were real questions, would we have even gotten the real answers given the format of the debate? Um, you know, it's, it's so much more uh, than offsets. We're, we're beyond that uh, in terms of having a conversation. And yes, uh, you know, like the, the, the liberals bought a pipeline and that should be brought up in terms of their record. But we need so much more than that and on, climate, uh, on the climate crisis. And as a country that is one of it's a major contributor to the way to the way um, that our world is going, uh, which is, you know, humans becoming the next dodo bird. So, well, not the not the next. There's a long lineup <laughs> of uh, of species that are in danger. And I just, what the fuck? Why can't we actually hear a real discussion um, on? On the big issues. I found it really hard to follow that, too, because I actually like I'm, I'm not an expert on what the conservatives plan is. And I don't really understand carbon offsets. Like I have a general idea of how they work. But it's like average people are supposed to hear this and fucking understand what the fuck is going on. Like, is there no role in the moderation to like educate people and explain like this is what your plan is going to do. This is blah, blah, blah. Or allowing Trudeau to consistently say that they've hit all of their targets, but they haven't hit all of their targets. It's just like. Can you meet us half fucking way and help cut through this bullshit instead of amplifying it? But, you know, you mentioned that these people don't have the chops to organize this stuff. I think it's actually just making sure that it's as narrow as possible so that the only way that you can get a message outside of the parameters that have been predetermined either by the commission, the moderator or the journalists is that you have to just ignore the question and just answer it however you fucking want. And then you get into the reality of, you know... The only climate fucking the boldest climate plan on that stage was like energy retrofits, electric transportation, you know, and oil subsidies. And it's like, obviously, fuck, give us something more. (laughs) There's fucking nothing. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, All of this is to say (laughs) (laughs) elections are a moment in time and they're a very heavily controlled moment in time and they're controlled in such a way that it is very hard to sift through the bullshit 
um, uh, to get through to some real answers of what the politicians are going to actually do. So for those of us who vote, like we kind of have to do our own research, uh, look at the actual uh, party platforms to get anything um, there. And then remember that this is a moment in time. It's a moment where we can elevate our, we can use it as a strategy to elevate our issues. Or we can use it as a moment to plan for what we're going to do after the election, <laughs> which I hope we're all doing. Um, or what we're continuing to do, even though the election is happening, you know, that these are moments. Um, at the same time, we got to hold these people accountable because they're responsible for so much mm-hmm. suffering and so much harm. And so it's not nothing, but it's not all there is. It's not all there is. Any wins, all of the wins that we have, the big wins that we have, uh, that we have ever had uh, politically come from struggle and demanding and forcing the people in power to take note and to take action. So, um, you know, it's more about us than it is about them. And that's hopeful, quite frankly. Yeah. Well, the other thing that's hopeful is that this is almost over. <laughs>